0: Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? Is it cold out? Anybody notice the cold in the wind yesterday? Yeah, it was a little chilly. It's winter, and uh, of course, you know, we, we have this weather that's kind of going back and forth and maybe making us a little discontent. We're a little unhappy because we don't know what jacket to wear when we leave the house. We don't know what is gonna happen during the day. Uh, We woke up, uh, I think it was last week, and and I looked out the window, there was snow on the ground. I didn't even know it was supposed to snow. Um, But uh, hopefully everybody is uh, able to stay warm, everybody's able to stay safe, and we pray for those who uh, are not, those uh, especially uh, heard the news this week about uh, some things going on in Harrisburg uh, where uh, folks who have been uh, set up under the was it the Mulberry Street Bridge, I believe, are uh, being forced to move, and uh, we're told that there's not enough city shelter for them. Um, so we actually we want to pray for those people. We want to pray for the ministries in Harrisburg that, that serve those people um, so that they might be able to stay warm, they might be able to have food, and they might be able to hear uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. This morning, we're continuing a sermon series that we started last week. Helps if I turn it on. Uh, Called The Winter of Our Contentment. Uh, Last week, we took a very quick look at the book of Acts chapter 16, which introduced us to Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke um, as they made their way to the city of Philippi in southern Greece. And um, as a result there, the first church of Europe was established. Uh, in Philippi. And it was likely led by this woman named Lydia, a rich and enterprising woman. Uh, She invited Paul, Silas, and their whole party to stay at their house for a while. They started this church uh, likely in her house, and she uh, led the way as far as uh, being able to minister to the people in Philippi, and also, as we're going to find, being able to minister to Paul and Silas. And this morning we're going to actually start looking at uh, the letter from Paul to the Philippians. And this letter was written while Paul was seated in a jail cell. He was in prison, uh, likely in Rome uh, is where they believe he was. And this was about 10 years after his uh, his first visit to uh, the people in Philippi. And Timothy was there, he was his caretaker, Uh, he would make sure that he had the things that he needed. And Paul had been in prison for about a year, and the church at Philippi learned about this, and they took a collection, they took an offering, and they sent it with uh, one of their members uh, to Paul. Because back in those days, uh, prisoners didn't rely on the government. Uh, A lot of times, we hear about prisoners and and the government feeds them and clothes them and gives them work and gives them education and things like that. This was not prison back in the first century. In the first century, the government would give you bread and water, enough just to sustain you. If you needed or wanted anything else, clothing, uh, blankets, uh, better food, You had to rely on other people to send you those things or to send you money to be able to buy those things. And the Church of Philippi knew this, and they took this collection, they sent it to Paul so that he could uh, have basic sustenance while he was in prison. And Paul writes this letter to the Philippian church. First of all, he wants to thank them, obviously, for the contribution. Thank you for, for taking care of me. And he wants to encourage them because the church itself had started falling under some hard times and not just financially, but persecution wise. They started um, kind of feeling the pressure from the people in their city uh, as they continued to worship God, as they continued to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to invite you to open your Bibles um, or a Pew Bible or your Bible app if you are so inclined to use those. Um, and we're just going to read the opening of Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 11 together. So this is Philippians. It's in the New Testament, about, oh, third of the way uh, into the New Testament. So it's right after Galatians. If you find Galatians, it's right before Colossians. If you pass by it and go to Colossians, you've gone too far. Turn around and go back just a couple of pages. But we're going to read uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is how Paul opens his letter. He's not talking about being in prison. He's not talking about uh, having a hard life. He is praising with joy Jesus Christ for having put the Philippian church into his life. He is just wanting them to be encouraged. He is wanting them to continue to know Jesus Christ, to grow in him. It says to grow uh, more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Paul wants to make sure that the gospel of Jesus Christ continues to be spread throughout Europe, even though he's not there. And he wants to make sure that the church knows that Jesus Christ is with them. That they are partners together in this gospel and that jesus wants them to do good works and when he says good works what he's talking about he's talking about spreading the gospel he's talking about taking care of those people who can't take care of themselves he's talking about doing all of those things in the name of jesus and As Paul opens this letter in this first 11 verses, there's three words that Paul uses to describe himself and Timothy and the people in Philippi. He uses these words, servants, saints, and partners. And we see in verse 1, Paul referring to himself and Timothy as servants of Christ Jesus. He addresses the letter to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi and then in verse 5 he describes the Philippian church as partners he says because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now and I want to take a look at these three things that Paul uses to describe the people that are involved here himself and Timothy and the church we want to look at these terms, these these things that he says servants, saints, partners and see how Paul thought about Christianity, how he thought about Christians, especially the Christians at Philippi. And I want to take a look and see how we as a congregation as a part of Christ's Church Universal are servants and saints and partners. Paul says that he and Timothy are servants of Jesus Christ. And that word in the Greek uh, is a a word uh, called doulos. And strictly translated, it means slave. Though in this uh, translation, they use the word servant. And the word slave here means a lot of different things. And one of the things, unfortunately, that it means is exactly what you're thinking. Exactly what we think about when we think of slaves. We, we think about it in this social and economic context of one person owning another, um, and, and that owner oftentimes just completely degrading the humanity of the slave. The slave is nothing in this context. But dulos also means someone who humbly serves a superior person, as a subject might serve a royal. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 6.15 of Jesus Christ, and he calls him the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And it's apparent here that he is writing that he and Timothy serve Christ because he is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. They are Christ's Subjects, They do whatever the king tells them to do. And they do it humbly. They do it body and soul. And in his opening phrase, Paul utterly bows himself down. He says, I am nothing. I am just the servant of Jesus Christ. He is my king. He is my Lord. He is the one that is tells me what to do. He is the one that I follow. And this is a crucial part of living as a Christian in 2023. And it's something that we lose focus on, something that we lose sight of often. Let's go back to the Garden of Eden a little bit. Before the serpent tempted Eve to disobey God, Humans knew God for who he is. He was the creator of all things. He has sovereign power over his creation. He was the king. That is the situation that they were in. They knew that everything they had and everything they were came from God. And in Genesis 1, 28 to 29, we we learn that God, (coughs) as superior as he was to Adam and Eve, God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God is giving authority over his creation to his creation, to Adam and Eve. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. So he's giving them this massive responsibility and he's also providing everything they need. And they understood this relationship. This is perfect, perfect uh, relationship, this perfect Eden that they were in, this paradise. And God only gave them one limitation. In all the earth, one limitation. There's one tree on earth. Do you know how many trees there are on earth? One tree that I don't want you to eat from. The day that you eat from that tree, you will surely die. That's it. That's everything. That's the relationship. And for a time, Adam and Eve ruled over everything on earth. They worshiped God. They knew who God was. They accepted his provision and they were thankful for it. And we even learn that God walked with Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 3, we read that God was taking a walk in the garden in the cool of the day looking for Adam and Eve. He was there in their presence. But the serpent convinced Adam and Eve that that wasn't enough. When he tempted Eve, he told her that she and Adam would be like God if they ate the fruit from the one tree that God said was off limits. And what he was really saying here is you don't have to serve God and his purposes. You can be God, knowing good and evil, and you can serve your own purposes. You can be your own sovereign, your own ruler, your own king. You don't have to worship that. Paul writes in Romans 6, 16, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. When Adam and Eve ate the fruit, they became slaves. They became slaves to sin, and their ruler became Satan. This is what happened in the garden. But the good news is that God had a plan to bring us back to him, to right the relationship that we had wronged. And when we come to know that we are slaves to sin, And we accept rescue from sin through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. God resets us. He restores us. He makes us new. He restores that paradise that was lost to us. And we understand, again, his love. We understand his provision. And we make a decision. We say that we are going to serve God's purposes. We are going to do what God tells us to do. We choose to be doulos, servants of Christ on earth. And when that happens, the Bible tells us that we ourselves become exalted. We ourselves become saints. And that's what Paul says in the second part of verse one. He says to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, the overseers and the deacons, And the word saint means holy one or one who is worthy of God, one who is dedicated to God's purposes. When we accept God's gift of salvation, we become worthy of him once again, just like Adam and Eve were before they ate the fruit. We become worthy of God. We become set aside for God's purpose. This is what it means to call Jesus our Lord and our Savior. We like the Savior part. How many of you are very uh, happy that you will not be uh, going to hell because you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Everybody is happy about that. What we don't like so much is the Lord part. Because if we think about what that word actually means, what it actually means, the Lord gets to tell you what to do. He gets to give you every assignment. He gets to rule over your life. He gets to rule over my life. And sometimes we don't like that. We like to exert a certain amount of rule over our lives, don't we? at least a little bit. Accepting Jesus Christ as Savior is the relatively easy part. I mean, it does mean that we are gonna humble ourselves before God, and it does mean that we are going to ask forgiveness for our sins, and God's gonna forgive us. That's the relatively easy part of Lord and Savior. When we talk about God and Jesus being our Lord, Sometimes we don't like that. We ask God what His will is for our life, but really sometimes what we're asking is, God, is what I already want, Your will for my life? And if it's not, could you make it that way? It really is. Often we pray, not God, what is Your will, but God, let this be Your will. Let it be Your will, God, that I get this job that I marry this person, that we buy this car, that we have this house. Let it be your will. Those those are the ways a lot of times that we pray. And many of us Christians, we ask God what his will is in some vague kind of thing, hoping that it matches with ours. But what would happen if we actually ask God, what is your will? apart from anything I want. When we approach that question, we first need to reflect on God's ultimate purpose. And we read about that in 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. There it is. That is God's ultimate will that none should perish and that all should reach repentance. That's it. That is what God wants. And if we approach our lives, our Christian lives with that same goal in mind, that none should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Maybe our prayer might go something like this, God, what role do you want me to play in seeing all people reach repentance? I will do whatever it takes if you give me the strength and the courage to do it. I will do whatever you need me to do to fulfill this purpose. And then it's not about us. Our attitude starts to change when we start looking at people and we start dealing with people. Our attitude shifts. It's going to be really, really hard to be angry or jealous or disappointed or saddened by somebody when we look at them and say, I want them to have eternal life. I don't want them to spend eternity apart from God. What can I do in this relationship to show them who God is? We can think, God, is what I'm doing, is what I'm thinking about doing, are the people that I'm doing it with, are all of those things helping me to accomplish your will to have all people reach repentance? If we took that one step, if we changed that one thing in our minds, how much more would we be able to see folks saved for God? Where we live and where we work would become secondary. Why we live where we live, why we work where we work, that becomes primary. God, I am working in a high school. What can I do? through your strength and your courage to help students, teachers, staff reach repentance. Students, you're in high school or middle school, what can I do to see my classmates reach repentance? Have a relationship with God. This is the attitude that we need to change in ourselves. But praise God, we are not alone in this. When Jesus died and rose again, he established something called the church. That's what this is. This is the building, not the church. You are the church. I am the church. That is what Christ established He established a body of believers across the world to work for God's ultimate purpose. And Paul acknowledges this, too, in his greeting to the Philippians in chapter 1, verses 3 to 6. Paul writes, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Because of your partnership in the gospel, we are partners in fulfilling God's ultimate purpose. And partners are simply like-minded people who work together to accomplish a common goal. When we seek to do God's purpose and we gather with other people who seek to do God's purpose, we become like-minded people working towards a common goal. And this is why God brings us together. I hate to to break this to you, but you are not here by accident. You are not here simply because you made the choice to get out of bed and get in your car and drive to church. God wanted you here. God wants you to be watching this video. God wants you to be listening to this audio wherever you are for some reason. And sometimes the reason might be a little murky, but he has brought us all together. And when he brings Christians together, he wants us to work towards his ultimate goal. That's why we have lawyers and mechanics and teachers and business owners. We have all of these different talents and abilities gathered together And when we put those things together, we call that the body of Christ. And when the body of Christ, all of our talents, all of our abilities, all of the things that we do, when those come together, they strengthen us in partnership. They give us the strength. They give us the courage. They give us the resources to do God's will. God has a job for us. Right here, Morning Hour Chapel. He has a job for us. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. We read that Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples... That's you, that's me. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. That is why we are here. When the Stoner family drove to church on Sunday mornings and they saw children riding their bicycles up and down the road on Sunday morning. God inspired them to begin a new children's ministry, and they did. They started a new children's ministry right over here in Victory Schoolhouse. For those of you who don't know, that's the schoolhouse that's attached to the church over here. That's what they did. On September 14th, 1930, 14 children attended the first Sunday school class offered in Victory Schoolhouse. Eventually, that grew to just dozens and dozens and dozens of children. They had to add another class for Sunday school. Then they started having adult Sunday school classes. And When the stoners received their inspiration from God to start this ministry, I have no doubt that there were some people in East Berlin, up and down this road, up and down all of the roads here, Praying. God, send somebody to minister to these children. I have no doubt that they were earnestly seeking the Lord to send laborers who might teach these children about Jesus Christ, about who He is and about what He has done. And when the stoners began their work, I have no doubt that they prayed, God, we will labor here. We will have compassion on these children who are sheep without a shepherd. And over the next 20-odd years, that ministry grew. They had the adult classes. Eventually, a full congregation started meeting. They built part of this building. And the mission continued and continues today. Morning Hour Chapel was established on a desire to do the will of God to see people reach repentance, to see people know Jesus as their Lord and their Savior, and to see our neighbors cared for, body and soul. Just like the Philippian church cared for Paul, body and soul by sending him a little contribution. When we gather here, when we practice our ministries, when we go home and talk to our families, our friends, our co-workers... We can shine the light of Jesus Christ. We can let people see who Jesus is, who the Father is, by doing those good works, by being an example. And that's what Paul saw in the Christians at Philippi, and that's what I see in the Christians here at Morning Hour Chapel. We are called to be servants, slaves. We are called to be slaves of Jesus Christ, set apart for God's purpose, and set together to be partners to accomplish that purpose. We read that Jesus had compassion on the people whom he taught and whom he proclaimed the gospel to. And we also read that Jesus didn't just talk. He didn't just come to synagogue on Saturday and preach the gospel. He also healed every disease and every affliction. Sometimes that affliction was hunger. Sometimes that affliction might have been poverty. Jesus and his disciples worked to help these people. And as we partner together to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us remember that part of our purpose is also to care for the needs of the people in our community? Because I got news for you. When people's physical needs are met, they're much more likely to open their minds, to open their hearts, to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for putting us here at Morning Hour Chapel. We thank you for the stoners who listened to your inspiration all those years ago and brought children to this old schoolhouse where they could learn who Jesus is, where they could learn who you are. And Father, we thank you for the infinite blessings that you've poured on this church over the years that have brought us to where we are today. Father, never let us forget the mission that you have set before us. Let us desire that none should perish, but that all should have eternal life, that all should be restored to you, that all should come to repentance. Father, we ask you to give us the strength and the courage to stand up, to shine the light of Jesus Christ into the darkness, even when it's hard, even when it's not allowed in certain places. Let our lives shine Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Jesus taught us how to pray, he taught us how to pray to the Father in heaven, told us that his name is holy, and he told us to pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will is that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance, that all should come to relationship with him. I'd like to close the surface this morning by praying the Lord's prayer together. Would you pray with me? Our Father, who art in heaven,